0: Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by koonline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at ko-online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette. And as we do every week, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today was literally born into the world of martial arts third or fourth children, and became very familiar to people in the D.C. area when at the age of only five years old, he was featured in a now-famous commercial for his dad's martial arts school. He's currently a 7th Dan Black Belt and owns and operates the Junery Institute in Falls Church, Virginia. The school was the center of the Junery organization during the late 70s through the turn of the 20th century. He earned his bachelor's degree in business administration at the College of William and Mary. He's happily married to his wife, Lisa Lee. And when not in the dojang, you can find him golfing and competing in kayak bass fishing tournaments. Please welcome my guest today, Master Chun-Ri. How are you doing today, sir?
1: Doing great. Thank you, Brian.
0: I have to ask, nothing to do with martial arts, but, uh, or how long have you been a kayaker? I love kayaking, so.
1: (laughs) Oh, I started that, uh, gosh, uh, five years ago. Oh, that's it? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's actually kind of a new sport. Yeah. um, I could talk hours about kayak (laughs) bass fishing, but, uh, as a kid, I, you know, I always wanted to be a bass angler and, uh, I'm living my, my childhood dream of, of uh, competing in bass tournaments, so it's it's out of a kayak, but it's fun.
0: <laughs> and that's cool. And I, I'm not a fisherman at all. I just love kayaking. I just love going down a r- uh, okay. <laughs> river and enjoying nature and stuff and and whatnot. But that's cool, kind of interesting. So, but now back to the martial arts stuff. I mean, as as I mentioned in the intro, I mean, literally with with, with your father being junior-y, you were literally born into the world of martial arts. But so, do you? I mean, do you even remember like what age he started training you? And, and I'm assuming you had no choice. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it was pretty much, you know, uh age four I think. You know, I got a picture in my studio of, of my father. Actually I think I'm wearing a Skipper Mullins black belt around my waist. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, it was kind of uh uh but anyway, yeah, ever since I was four, my sister and I were you know, we'd go my father would just teach us at home until we were old enough to follow him to the school. Uh back then the school was in two thousand L Street in Washington D C and we pretty much grew up there in that school. So,
0: I mean, when you got to the age where you, I mean, you started at four, when you got to the age where you could have made that decision and been like, I don't want to do this anymore. What, you know, what was it, you know, what was it that made you want to keep doing it and stick with it?
1: Well, so, so I do remember the day I wanted to stop. So you do. Okay. Um, yeah. So it was, and so I didn't get my black belt till I was 15. and I was in high school. Uh, and back then, my passion was playing soccer. Oh. So the deal I had with my dad was that, you know, if I get my black belt, can I stop? And he said, yes, you can. You can you can quit if you want to. So I wanted to play soccer. So, I, you know, it was uh, so at the time I was a student at the school where I teach at. And my instructor was, um, was John Chung. So John and back then it was, you know, John and Charlie Lee, Helen Chung. It, it was just an awesome environment. But I wanted to stop and, uh, I trained extra hard that summer and I, I got my black belt and I quit the next day. <laughs> really? So, uh, okay. Yeah. So, so I was actually out of martial arts, you know, from high school all through college, really? uh, completely cold turkey. And then here I am running a school. So, but, uh, yeah, it, it was just, you know, it was, just, I was always the, I don't know if you say the the bad son. My dad would always say, growing up, <laughs> the rebel, <laughs> um, right? Well, just you know, it's, I think it's typical. You know, you you're, you don't want to follow the footsteps of your father,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you want to do something different. But uh I enjoy what I do now. I love, I love teaching and running my school. But uh yeah, it, it was uh, it was tough. I mean, it was tough for my dad too. Like he kind of saw me as the. Uh, you know the crown prince I guess to, to 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 take over the organization when when he passed, but uh I just yeah, I just stopped cold turkey
0: <laughs> so random question then how long did you play soccer for, and what drew you back to martial arts
1: well so, so, so you know it was just soccer it was just it was just youth soccer and okay, and, and um you know growing up, I played for my high school, I didn't play college soccer but so after I graduated from William Mary. I wanted to run my own business, and it it wasn't to run a martial arts school either. I I didn't want to be a part of the business. But after about two years of not really doing anything successful, my brother owned a school, and he asked me to manage it because he lost his manager, and I said, okay, I I agree to do it. So that's what got me back into it. My brother kind of – I'm not sure if he tricked me or (laughs) – this is my older brother, Jimmy. Okay. But um, I took over the school, and – I just started, you know, by putting my own ideas and running the business and learning the business. And I really loved that part of it. And the school was struggling at the time. And after about a year and a half, two years, I, I kind of built it back up to a point where we we're, where were making money, paying the rent. And from that point, uh, you know, I, I started to, I think it was maybe running the business more, Okay. but the more I understood teaching martial arts and how it helped the kids and things like that, that really was, you know, kind of a rewarding experience too. You know, when you see a six year old get a belt and the, the smile on their face and yep. the parents, you know, being proud of their kid, that really brings a lot of reward uh, to the work.
0: So then when you were managing the school, were you also teaching there full time or were you managing the school and doing something else?
1: Yeah, doing I was managing, teaching, kind of relearning as well. Cause I was out, you know, so there was a transition of where my father was transitioning to teaching the ITF Taekwondo forms to the Junery system forms. Mm-hmm. So during that time that I was gone, there were a lot of curriculum changes Ooh. to to what, you know, when I grew up, I got my black belt learning, uh, you know, Chunji, Tangun, Tosa, those traditional forms. And during that, the, when I was gone, my father had created some forms, the Junery forms, which uh, were quite b- different from from what, what i did so i had to kind of relearn uh, the curriculum as i taught so of course my my father was happy that i was you know coming to him and say, i was asking hey can you <laughs> make you teach me the forms nice. and he was uh, happy to see that i was coming back to the business so but yeah the it was both managing teaching running the school learn, i was learning everything at the time so okay
0: so to back up just a little now, you started when you were four, and then you were there till you were fifteen. So during that you know eleven year time period, how was it training with your dad? And I mean, do you think he was tougher on you because you were his son?
1: Yeah, so he was definitely tougher on me. So <laughs> just just going go, going to the the my Blackbelt exam. So this was the Blackfoot exam. You had a panel of all of the master instructors, and this included Jeff Smith, you know Michael Coles. Gosh, you know, the panel was, you know, all the world champion black belts, you know, and my father. Wow. And um, so back to, at the t- when you tested for your black belt back then, they would call out, uh, you, you, it was a point system. So if you the students with the highest points would be called out first. And then the students with the lowest points would be called out last. Okay. So I was the last student to be called. I had the, <laughs> the lowest score. Uh, and my father said he actually failed me but he was overruled by the master structure to say, Hey, oh. you're being a little too tough on him. Uh, oh. so I was grateful that, that I think Jeff Smith, uh, kind of told him, Hey, he was not too bad. You, you need to pass him. So, uh, I was saved by Grandmaster Smith. That's Smith. Um, yeah. So, but anyway, so, you know, as a kids, we would, yeah, my, I think a lot of it was, we did a lot of demonstrations in mm-hmm. the summertime and he would, tell my sister and I, Hey, get get your uniform on and we need to go downstairs. And so we would do Exodus, I think a hundred times, you know, a night, it was just, all right, do it again, do it again. And, uh, you know, that as a kid, you know, like, Oh gosh, you know, I know the form. Why am I keep doing this? So that, that, that kind of, you know, kind of got to me, I guess, you know, why am I training so hard? But as you get older, you appreciate kind of the discipline that my dad had and he wanted, he wanted everything perfect. And that's just the way he ran the schools, or you know, the standard that he had for his students. And uh, but you know, going through that was was tough, especially at a young age.
0: Okay. Now, do you remember the commercial? I mean, yeah, actually.
1: Oh yeah, you After do. The, I remember. I, I remember my sister and I were just following my father. He was doing another cut, a commercial cut, and he was actually going to say, "Nobody bothers me," and. I think the person who filmed it was a student, and and the, uh, the the gentleman who was filming it suggested to my dad, "Hey, why don't you let the kids try it? Because that might be that com- might come across a little cuter than an adult." Mm-hmm. So he said, "Sure," and then, and then he grabbed you know my sister and I, and I remember standing on a milk crate and <laughs> and saying the line like maybe four or five times, and that was history. It was yeah, I remember I remember that clearly that day. That's and we were I was five and she was four. <laughs>
0: okay. Wow. So, did you ever get uh, teased about it from like schoolhood friends oh, or anything? Yeah.
1: yeah? <laughs> uh, I mean, up until so that commercial ran for 20 years. Oh my God. And wow. Up until I was up until I was a sophomore in in college at William and Mary, and so back then, you know, there was no cable TV. Yep. And up here in the DC area, it was it was Channel Five and Channel 20. I'm, I'm not, that doesn't make sense to people who don't live in the area, but. Yeah. So it ran during the, the cartoons, okay, um, the afternoon cartoons and Saturday cartoons, and it ran for 20 years. So I went to William & Mary, which is about two and a half hours away from Washington, D.C. So back then, those channels actually went to Newport News, Virginia Beach area. So I had people who didn't, You know, know what the junior technical school is, but they saw the commercial, and uh but yeah, growing up it was always, hey, that's a nobody bothers me kid, and even today, you know, (laughs) still people, yeah, it still it still happens. So So they still
0: bother you about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they still bother me about it, right? I need, I need to make a new commercial that, you know, everybody bothers me. There you go. <laughs> you know,
0: that's, I almost wonder if that's, that's going to be a record for one single commercial to run that long.
1: Yeah. It, it's, you know, it, so you can find it on YouTube yep. and, um, but <laughs> what's kind of funny was that our local radio station did a top 50 local commercial like these are the top the commercials back in the 70s wow and i was a little disappointed i think they listed us at like 20. 20 <laughs> really or something. i was like are you kidding me You're like a 20 times? how are we not number one wow
0: what uh, was number one do you remember
1: anyway, <laughs> i think it was the band-aid commercial you oh, know Band- i think it was that but wow. anyway i thought we should have been at least top five
0: <laughs> i think we need a recount man that's not fair
1: <laughs> yeah i think we do i think we do that's funny
0: So then in those first 11 years, did you get into the teaching aspect of it then or not till you came back to it?
1: No, not till I got back. Okay. We didn't, like John Chung was the instructor when I was testing for my black belt and Charlie Lee, uh, my cousin Philip, they were like the junior assistant instructors. Mm -hmm. And there were so many good black belts back then. Yeah. So we, I didn't teach. I, did, I, 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 you know, once I got my black belt, I stopped. And then when I came back into it in 92, when I ran my first school, and then I took over the, the Falls Church location, which is where I am at currently.
0: And how about the competition side of things? Did you get into that as a, as a youth?
1: No, I didn't really, you know, I competed. We had intramural tournaments. So the junior intramurals, they were done like, I think twice a year and those were huge. And I competed in those, but nothing beyond that
0: think back to you took the break you came back and started you know kind of took over your brother's school and started teaching over all those years to now what do you think has changed the most about your teaching style
1: wow that's a good question i'm a lot like my dad in in certain ways in terms of like demanding the technique be precise being hard on students but in a positive way if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but i'm a little probably a little more also uh, what do you call it um for students who have a you know have a hard time, I'm a little more more patient with them. So my father was not very patient. He would he would say, Everybody has the same ability and you need to do it this way and you need to get it to this point and he was always demanding. Um and probably one of his one of his teaching flaws was that you know, everybody learns at a different pace. So that's what I think I'm that's different about me is that I'm I'm able to kind of differentiate, you know, some students who are maybe not as flexible or maybe they're students who are maybe less coordinated and understanding that you have to teach them differently uh, to get to the point where they can be their best. Nice.
0: I know your dad was um, known, you know, he, he taught like a ton of celebrities and stuff. Now, did you ever get to do any of that or did you ever get to meet any of the celebrities he was teaching?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, so gosh, I mean, I remember Bruce Lee coming to our house when I was little. <laughs> oh, so you,
0: you actually do. I was going to ask you if you actually remember that. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. I remember him coming. Uh, I was, I was four at the time And I used to have a picture of him holding me and I lost it. But, um, so, you know, the celebrities that, you know, Muhammad Ali came to our house one time and that was, that was pretty cool. What else? Uh and most, a lot of the celebrities that we caught were the senators and congressmen, uh, going to Capitol Hill and teaching there. And a couple of times he would drag me over there. But, um, yeah, I mean, Tony Robbins, again, I've met him and, uh, yeah, so it's a lot of, a lot of famous people.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you you mentioned the you know, the senators and stuff. That's I mean that I think I talked about that with Mr. Pineda too. That's just so cool that he was able to do that and do it right on Capitol Hill and have so much involvement.
1: Yeah, and so I mean he did it for thirty plus years wow. twice a week and he did it free of charge. I mean, he would wow. go there every morning at six AM and he loved doing it. And um and you know, it's like they say it's not what you know is who you know. So with all the connections that he he made yeah. through Congress—that's why he was, you know, very successful. He knew that it was about meeting, you know, the, the you know the famous top people, and uh, and they all helped my father whenever he needed help. So it was kind of a smart move. But he but he dedicated <laughs> himself to doing it. So he, yeah, twice sometimes like three times a week, and wow. you know, two hours every morning. So it was pretty impressive.
0: I, I didn't realize he did. I knew he did it for a long time, but I didn't realize it was 30 years. That's yeah,
1: it was, it was a long, yeah, it was 30 years of every week. Yeah.
0: Do you know the longest any of them stuck with it?
1: A lot of them got to second degree. I mean. Really? Gosh, I, I don't know the names. Yeah, but they they got to the second degree black belt. Um, Jesse Jackson Jr. was like the recent one. Like when I was younger, like I didn't, I didn't follow Congress or senators. Yeah. But um, I remember, uh, Icord was one of the congressmen. Maybe I Dick. Okay. I forget his first name, but yeah, there there are quite a few.
0: That's really. I mean, that's. I'm surprised someone didn't try to keep that going. Or I mean,
1: it well, it's just hard. I mean, yeah. he, you know, who wants to get up at six in the morning, and go to Capitol Hill, and teach? <laughs> true, that <laughs> is know, true. So he, he would. He, I mean, he, he loved doing it, and I think like some days when he would be sick, you know, he'd tell. Uh, Grandmaster Smith to do it, okay. uh, or you know, Master Cole. So they would, you know, fill in. And plus, you're doing it for free. So yeah. you gotta, True. You gotta find someone who has a passion to do it for free.
0: So. That that is some dedication. But and plus, plus, <laughs> I, I can also see, like in today's political climate, probably probably would not want to be yeah. going there. And
2: right.
1: You right, you'd yeah.
0: probably end up yeah. reffing some fights or something while you were there. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, he, he had a thing. He you know as he had a uh, Republicans versus Democrats. Kind of an exhibition sparring match. Really, it's uh, on video, and but these guys fought like they were. It was like full contact. It was kind of funny. Yeah, I have to kind of pull up that video, and, but uh, it was uh, yeah, it was pretty hardcore. <laughs> wow,
0: I, I definitely got to look, look that up. Yeah. That's
1: awesome. Yeah.
0: Wow. So, what what do you think, in your opinion, what do you want your dad's legacy to be? What I mean, what do you want him most to be remembered for?
1: He really wanted to kind of you know make martial arts the it wasn't like people should be proud that they teach martial arts and that the profession was uh is something that that's honorable that people should be able to make money and not not to be ashamed of it um you know i think this what we do as martial artists you know teaching kids discipline and helping kids with confidence and things like that it's pretty you know it's important work so, and it wasn't, it didn't matter if you were a taekwondo instructor or a Kung Fu instructor, he martial arts, you know, was one unified, you know, big family mm-hmm. and he wanted to elevate the image of martial arts and, and what the school, you know, what schools do to help society. So that that would be the legacy that he would want to be That I'm pretty sure. I like that. That's really yeah. cool.
0: All right. So you had mentioned that you didn't get involved in the competition at all when you were younger. Now, did you as an adult ever? I I mean, you have obviously trained other people for competition, but did you ever get involved in it yourself as an adult? No,
1: no, I just never, it never interests me. Yeah. You know, I I wasn't putting the time that would be required Mm -hmm. to, to be, you know, a a champion, you know, forms or, or sparring and, you know, you know, people like Charlie Lee and John Chung, they they <laughs> that was their passion. They would be dedicated their craft and spent hours training and it just was something that I wanted to do. Okay.
2: Um,
1: and I think it's something that you gotta start at a younger age to really commit yourself. So when I was growing up, I was just waiting to get my black belt and <laughs> being done. Yeah, with
2: I it. Soccer. <laughs> um
1: yeah, and uh and playing soccer. So no, it's you know, I, I love teaching. I love running the business. I've learned a lot about how to effectively run a, I think you can run a quality school with quality students and, and be successful. So uh it's not work to me. You know, as as I built my school up and the systems that I've created with my business, it's not work at all to me. I go into work, I love it you know, going in every day. So so
0: what you know, obviously there's there's so many people around the country and, that teach, and you know maybe do it like part time, or maybe can't get it to be a, a full time business or even successful. It, what what do you, in your opinion, what are one or two things that are maybe missing that people, if they did one this one thing different, it, it might be the turning the corner to make it a little more successful. You know, what's what, what do you think maybe uh, you, you do differently? Maybe
1: I think it's there's so many facets to to a martial arts school in terms of everything's connected so it's not i don't think one you can't target it on one thing it's a system of different things that kind of work you know they're all connected i guess okay scheduling tuition you know the tuition options that you give a student uh scheduling is a big thing class schedule and and making sure that you you put the kids in, in depending on what their age what age they're at in the proper class structure too many schools i think start the kids you know way too young and what happens is in order for them to you know keep the kids uh, excited about being in the school they have to promote them and then you have black belts who are seven years old and they can't you know punch through a paper bag and that's a mistake (laughs) i think um we don't we don't start our kids in our regular program until they're seven seven and a half okay we have what we call the knee high ninja program or you know like a little dragon type class for the younger kids yep and uh we used to start them at four, and we're like, it's not working. It's just babysitting. Yeah. When kids are five at kindergarten, I think five and a half, they're able to kind of understand some basic concepts. So we teach our Nihon Ninja program. It's basically our white belt program for kids five to seven years old. And once we feel that that they can physically handle and mentally handle the rigors of a, a regular class, that's when we move them up. And typically at age seven, seven and a half. Okay, and that's the best age I think to teach kids you know forms and sparring and and just the concepts of basic martial arts where they understand what you're talking about. most five and six year olds I don't think have the ability to do that and uh so we started at seven and a half in a regular program and by the time they're eleven twelve and they're testing for the you know some of them are testing for the black belt, but not seven or eight they're they're not mature enough and uh, I just don't think it's you know I think schools need to slow down a little bit <laughs> and um and why rush it? I mean, you know, we, we I have students who've been in my school for fifteen, twenty years. Wow. So you know, you take your time.
2: Okay. And I, like
0: I said, I've seen I've seen some schools starting in as as young as three, which is crazy. And- yeah,
1: but, well, yeah, exactly. What what are you doing? I mean, it's I mean, if you're teaching like a basic like tumbling class and yeah. you know running around and that's fine, but they're going to burn out. They're not going to stay with you. Yep. Um, I rather have a student that that's going to be you know that understands what they're doing and and who will be committed. So having them start at seven, you know, with a regular program, I think is the ideal age.
0: I know like my instructor, he won't, the youngest he'll take him is five, but but even then... Uh, he's turned away some five-year-olds if <laughs> he doesn't think they can, you know, handle that class and stuff. And I also study a, a different system of Taekwondo, but do you guys do junior black belts or do you just, is just black belts?
1: No, we teach, we teach the same curriculum. We teach our kids and our adults. And so our schools, you know, right now, martial arts schools are typically, I think most are top-heavy kids. Okay, uh, And so is our school. So, but we teach the same curriculum, you know, at all ages. So we do not do a junior black belt. Okay. our black belts are pretty good i mean in terms of technique so you know we really demand you know this is how you throw a punch this is how you kick and uh you know not to disparage to the school but you know i see these videos of these kids you know they're doing their forms i'm like what are they doing and you can teach the right way and still have a successful school and i think some some schools owners they get too caught up with I need to make you know money, and I need to make this kid excited, so I'm gonna give him his next belt. And uh, I just I don't think that's right.
0: So do you guys do stripes in between belts, or is it just colored belts straight? How do you?
1: Well, it, it's it's colored belts with tips. So tips. you know, okay. progress checks for tips. So you know, our curriculum is broken down into sparring forms, what we call technical kicks and combinations. So there's are four fat like four areas that they have to master at each belt level, and they get a colored tip as well once they master that that section. So it just keeps it motivated. You know, one of the things that as I was learning to run my business, I used to go to the educational funding company with Nick Okinas and he would, um, him and uh, his, uh, his assistant, I was his commander Muffley, They would in, uh, invite our the junior staff to their, to their office uh, once every two weeks. And he, they were awesome. Um, I learned so much from from Mr. Coquinas. And um, one of the things he said, which didn't really kind of resonate back then, was you have to test your kids every three months. You mm-hmm. have to test them. And it's not passing them to the next belt. It's testing them. Yep. And you have to, yeah, every student of mine, once they get to a certain point, regardless if they're ready or not, we test them and tell them, hey, we need to see where you're at. Uh, and we, we focus on their technique. And if they need to work on something, we tell them, you know, wait two weeks and work on, you know, X, Y or Z. But um, the importance of testing your students, making sure they're doing it the right way. Uh, that was a big thing that I learned from him. Okay. So
0: with your students and w- when they get ready to test for their black belt, is the, the black belt test that your students have nowadays fairly similar to what you had to go through or has that changed much?
1: Yeah, it's pretty much the same. So oh. right now there are only two junior schools in, in the area. It's my school and Master Panita's, the school that he's at. Okay. So we do our black belt test combined. So we our, our candidates come to the Falls Church location. And um, so our standards are pretty high. The uh yeah, it's, it's it's about the same. It, it, I remember that the way we run the tests are you know exactly the same as when I went through it. Okay, that's good. And, and like
0: roughly, how long does your test last for first degree black belt?
1: Uh. About three and a half, four hours, probably.
0: Okay, and you like when you run one? Is a what? Is it do you wait? Is there a minimum number you have to have that are ready to test, or if you have one person ready, you let them test,
1: or how does that work? So we run our block exams three times a year. Okay, and it could be twenty students testing, or it could be five students testing. So this, so we have one coming up. It might be six students testing. I think it's a okay. pretty small number. We had a big one last on March. We actually had uh, quite a few second degrees testing. So it it just depends. But we we run them regardless of how many students we have. Okay.
0: And you said you have some of your students that have been with you, you know, 15, 20 years. So what's the the highest rank that you've brought one of your students to? Not that you've tested for someone else, but that you you started at White Belt. They've been with you. And now they're what rank?
1: They are. Fourth
0: non fourth okay. degree. Now, in your guys' system, is is fourth degree considered master, like in other taekwondo systems, or is it different?
1: It used to be fourth degree, and then we, we then my father, before he passed, pushed it to fifth degree. Okay. <laughs> so we, we might put it back down to fourth degree, but right now it's at fifth degree. Okay. To be a master, but uh yeah, it may go back to fourth. We'll see.
0: <laughs> I think a few taekwondo systems did that because I know some other ones that switch it to fifth too. So
1: yeah. Yeah, uh, must have been.
0: <laughs> hey, they're doing it. We're gonna do it too. So, <laughs>
1: right? Yeah, it might have been. Might have been that.
0: Now, you personally, what what are your goals? What do you still want to accomplish in martial arts in Taekwondo? What, you know what what what's on the the horizon for you?
1: Yeah. You um. Know, so, you know, I'm so different from my father. My you know, my father was a visionary. He was a you know, kind of a global. I want to make an impact. You know, worldwide. And I'm not. I'm just not made of that. <laughs> 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 that. <laughs> So, mine. I just want to make sure that my students uh, get the best, you know, out of the instruction that they're they're coming to. That they enjoy their classes. I want my, my if I once I leave my school and hand it down to my instructors that they continue the same, you know, kind of the the like you know my father's legacy. I guess mm-hmm. it's yeah. I, I just want to run the best school that I can. You know, I thought about going into consulting and, and and helping other schools, but there's so many consultants out there. That, uh, I don't know how I reach out to them, but you know, one of these days I may I may kind of open my doors and let people come see our school and, and teach them what I think is is a proper way to run a business. The um, you know, we have 330 active students in wow. our school, and, and I know there are schools that have six, seven hundred, but um, I run one school uh, I run ex- you know very successfully. My step, all my staff, I have one other master instructor who has uh, been with me for since I started the school, uh, Master Manuel Bonilla. Um, and my senior instructor, William Nixon, they both make a, you know, a living. They do it full time. Really? And we run our school Monday through Friday. And actually, last year was the first year we actually canceled Saturday classes. So we used to, for the longest time, run a six day work week. Okay. And, um, when COVID hit, we had to kind of, pivot and obviously teach on zoom and we ran our zoom classes Monday through Friday uh, and had Saturdays off, you know, for a year and a half. And we really liked the the (laughs) lifestyle of them having that two day break. And so when we went back, went back to teaching live, you know, my instructor suggested, Hey, you know, why don't we try just you know, having Saturdays off when we come back to live. And I actually just said, no, I said, we can't do that. We're going to, you know, it's a big business day. And after thinking about it for a little bit longer, I said, you know what, maybe we can do it for just five days a week. So 2022, January, when we opened our school, we ran Monday through Friday. And you know, once we announced that we would cancel Saturday classes, I thought we would for sure lose you know 30 students. Mm-hmm. And we lost two students from canceling Saturday classes. Wow. And the weird thing was that we had more parents thanking us <laughs> <laughs> uh, and con- congratulating us for getting the extra day off. I can see yeah, that. <laughs> I thought that was weird, and and the, I guess what parents said was that they don't want to they don't want to come to the school at ten o'clock in the morning to bring their kids. You know, protect. they want to you know have a day off as well, because they're running around taking their kids to soccer practice and soccer games and baseball games. So they they actually like the extra day off as well. So my school has been the busiest uh, in terms of numbers since we canceled the Saturday class, which is odd, but. Yeah, so we run a very successful business. We don't do, our first class starts at 4.45 in the afternoon, and, and our last class ends at 8.45. Oh, okay. um, so it's a four-hour day of teaching. We don't do anything else, you know, during the daytime in the morning. We get to the school at 2.30, we clean the school, we have a little, you know, meeting for the classes start, and we teach five classes a day, Monday through Friday. And it's very successful, so wow Uh, it can be done
0: have you ever thought of doing like daytime stuff have have you ever had anyone inquire about it
1: we used to we used to have an adult class we used to do you know cardio kickboxing classes Mm -hmm. and uh you know saturday class we'd have the in the full full day saturday from nine to two o'clock and then we do extra stuff you know from two to four like private lessons things like that but once you get your school to, I think, to a successful um, in terms of you got your curriculums and your scheduling and your your tuition, you know, format set, it just runs, and I don't have to do the other stuff. I think mean, most people do the other stuff, like you know, yoga classes on the side because, mm-hmm. because they need to pay rent. I don't have to do that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, we just focus on just Taekwondo only right now, and and we don't do any other side stuff.
0: Yeah, the Saturday class, I definitely see both sides of it because when I was younger and First started training with my current instructor, he had class six days a week, and I was there six days a week and At one point, you know where he gave me and like a few other students keys and we were there seven days a week <laughs> all the time but now, as a parent. Yeah. I know having to run my kids' places all the time, right. seven days a week, I'm like, I can definitely agree that it would be nice having that day off. I mean, of course, yeah. once, once my kids started driving, it was much, much better. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, my instructor, the main reason he stopped was because he got married. He started having kids and stuff, and it right. was just more of a family thing, you know, where you used to teach this often. And you used to have adult, adult classes Five nights a week and Saturday mornings, you know, and now Mm -hmm. he has adult Mm -hmm. classes, three nights a week. So, and then kids classes the other days and and stuff. So it's personal choice. And, and, you know, he's actually grown because in, and not lost in these, I mean, maybe he lost some, but his school is more successful than it ever has been. So, so yeah, I, I definitely see both sides of that argument. Yeah. Now, you mentioned COVID and you, you closed down for a while. So what now when COVID was happening, you were do, you said you were doing Zoom classes and stuff. Did most of the students take part in that? Did you see a drop off during COVID where people didn't want to train virtually? Or did it stay yeah, pretty consistent?
1: So Pre COVID, you know, we had a really we actually had- Doing really well. Probably had about 300 active students, and once the the kind of the, the shutdown happened, we lost about 100 students. So we had to really figure out, okay, how we're we going to keep these 200 students going on. And so we started the Zoom classes. So the, the way we structured the Zoom classes was that we we kept it at 30 minutes because we knew if we anything longer than 30 minutes. So our normal class structure is 45 minutes. Okay. So we kept it to 30 minutes and. We were really surprised, so for a year, I guess, I forget how long we were teaching Zoom for, but the students who started Zoom, I think maybe two or three kids quit out of the 200 that we had active. Wow. So we were able to keep the, the kids active and participating and even testing for belts during this oh. period. And, and I think what was weird is that the kids, it was like, for them, it was like watching TV. Mm-hmm. So if you kept it animated, if you kept it fun, and if you kept it simple, the kids would actually pay attention so the kids who typically in a group setting who would lose focus in a group setting in class and get in trouble for you know not paying attention they actually were focused you know staring at the you know at their computer uh watching the instructors teach so it was really it was kind of a weird situation so yeah all our students did great and i think it was harder for the teachers to teach on Zoom. right you know that you don't get the interaction and, and you know uh, with the students, like you do in a, in, a, in a live setting. So our instructors were getting burned out teaching on Zoom, but the students themselves, they, they seemed to, they, they were okay with it. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, we, we you know, we, we, it was a tough period, but we survived it. Yeah.
0: What type of modifications did you have to do to be able to test over Zoom? Most people I talked so to we, weren't able to test. They, I, I, a lot of them, taught. Yeah, but that's yeah. interesting.
1: Yeah. So we we actually we told students that they had to just so the big part was our curriculum is our forms requirement and our combinations. So we didn't test obviously sparring. We could not test sparring. Okay. We do a lot of sparring anyway in our in our regular teaching. We do what's called every other week. We do what's called forms week and then sparring basics week. So we alternate that every week. So, whenever it's sparring week, the kids know to bring their gear, and every class that week, they'll do something that's really just sparring or, or working on the basics. Whenever okay. it's forms week, we teach, you know, we work there on their, their hyungs or their patterns, so it alternates. But anyway, so we, we kept that format on Zoom as well. Uh, we would teach like, you know, footwork and sparring, uh, the combinations. All they had to do when they tested was they had to show us their form that they learned and the combinations that they learned at their belt level. Okay. Now, typically in our system is that we test everything. So if a blue belt is testing the red belt, he has to show us the curriculum at white, yellow, orange, every belt level up to the level that he's at. And that's how we normally test. Mm-hmm. So during the Zoom period, we just told the students, "Don't worry about the the previous stuff. We just want to test you on what you're learning right now." So that's how we tested them. Okay. Um, but our our standard is our black belts. When they test, they they have to show us everything from white belt to black belt, and that's how we you know we train. We we get students or teenagers who who once they get their black belt, we can hire. I actually hire my high school kids and give them part time jobs uh, to develop them. And maybe you get one or two who, who wants to become an a instructor in know through college. But that's how you develop your school is, is making sure that your students, when they're black belt, they know the curriculum. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of schools, what they do is they kind of cut corners and they say, okay, this is your black belt test. We're just going to test you on this, this, and this, you know, just a couple of things. And uh, in order to, to keep your school going, you got to train your, your students as if when they get their black belt, they're going to be future, you know, employees. So, that's great. Yeah. Have
0: any of your students gone on to open their own schools?
1: Um no. Well, okay. yes, I, yeah, well, what what my, one of my instructors who left actually right when COVID started, uh she has her she went off on her own and went she has her own school now. Okay. Cool. Um and yeah so um, I'm kind of I don't want to age myself, but <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. She she started with me when she was four. Oh wow! And she's a master So She was the fourth degree that, that I developed. Okay, but she's a master instructor. Yeah. Awesome, that's
0: cool. So you had talked about you know consulting and possibly you know showing other people how to run a school. Any thoughts? Have you ever tossed around the idea of of writing a book about it?
1: You know. I, I, you know, I had written notes and things like that, but mm-hmm. um, th- that has crossed my mind. But yeah, I haven't really taken the the, the initial steps to, to actually do it. But yeah, one of you things, you know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, where I'm gonna, what is what is my end game in terms of, you know, how much longer can I run the school and how much longer can I teach and what can I do afterwards? And you are know, kind of following my father's footsteps, you I know, mean, he he really enjoyed the seminar business and teaching yeah. seminars and going traveling. I'm not a big traveler, so I, if I talk, you know, did a consulting business, I would have people come to my school. Okay. <laughs> and I'd show them, you know, I think, but I think you, they would learn a lot from, yeah, true. Kind of seeing how we operate. Uh, and now that I have Saturdays off, you know, it would be like a come Friday, see how we operate our school. And then on Saturday, like a workshop, uh, I would teach you the, yeah, like a workshop at, at my studio. So. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm semi serious about doing that, but uh you know, we'll see. Maybe the podcast will spurn some interest if people <laughs> will call me. So. Hey,
0: I hope so. That's the that's the thought. Yeah. So so now you you've been in, you know, Taekwondo your pretty much your whole life. Now what are your thoughts on something like MMA and the UFC and are you a fan?
1: You know, so Charlie Lee took me huge to my fan. first UFC fight. Yep. He's a huge fan. And he took me to my first fight in Las Vegas. Nice. And it's impressive. It's really, it is really impressive. I think it's two different sports, to mm-hmm. be honest. I think it's a different category. It's, it's obviously still growing in terms of the business part of it. You know, we have a, actually, uh, gosh, we have a, a studio that's right across the street and uh, I haven't met the gentleman, but he is, um, his studio is called Fifty Fifty MMA. He's actually very famous. He, he was in that one of the, the UFC shows I've never been, but Master Panina knows him. Okay. But anyway, I, I, you know, I know that, that they're sprouting everywhere and you know i think a lot of the adults you know like teen adults like to go to that to that style of martial arts i am a fan of it i don't follow it i don't follow the fighters and and if i see you know i'm not actively looking to see a show but you know i think it's good to some extent but i think you know a lot of parents who come to our school you know with their kids you know they don't want their kids to be you know, doing mma stuff so yeah I i think it's good to some degree yeah
0: in all your years of martial arts, and all the time growing up with your dad and stuff, is there one philosophy you've learned that just rises to the top? It's super important. You keep coming back to it.
1: Wow, one philosophy. Um, gosh, you know, my father's favorite saying was "truth, beauty, and love." And you know, our st- uh, my favorite is "knowledge in the mind, honesty in the heart, and the strength in the body." That's what we say in our student creed and my father always said that you know those three things knowledge honesty and strength that's how you build confidence if you're smart you're very confident if you're strong uh you're confident and if you're honest you're confident. So that's the you know the full circle of, of true confidence. So that's that's a philosophy that I like to that kind of resonates with me the most.
0: Nice. All right, I have a few fun questions to wrap it up. Who are and I've had people say as few as two names as as many as eight. So it doesn't have to be four, but who are you know three three, four, five names you would put on your personal Mount Rushmore of martial arts.
1: Wow. Uh my father would definitely be on that. <laughs> yep. Uh Bruce Lee. Nice. Who would I put on there? Chuck Norris would have to be on there, I think. Nice. Another good one. This is the fourth one. I would have to say it would be, um, who, the, my father's instructor, who the, the father of the Chun Taekwondo. He, so, I, growing up, he was my Taekwondo grandfather. So, in Korean, it was Taekwondo Halabuji, is what I would call him. So I didn't know how it, how big of a man I mean, in terms of his stature who he was until <laughs> I was I was older. I was like, oh, he he started the Chun school, so it would have to be him. Okay. Yeah. So I'm a little biased with Taekwondo, I guess. But hey,
2: and <laughs> a lot of people
0: are. I mean, a lot of people. Obviously, a lot of people throw Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris up there too. But you know, yeah, it's, okay. it's, those are those are some solid <laughs> names on there. So, all right, how about now? This one you can't you can't pick one of your dads. A favorite martial okay. arts book.
1: Favorite martial arts book? Hmm. You know, I'm gonna have to be honest. I never read many martial arts books. Really? <laughs> yeah, it I was all just I. I, I didn't, well, I don't the. Uh, it was always just going to the studio mm-hmm. and and practicing. So that wouldn't I wouldn't be qualified to answer this question.
0: Right, which one? <laughs> of your, which one of your dads is your favorite then?
1: <laughs> um, well, all his. Uh, the, well, the Bruce Lee and I. That, yeah. That, I love yeah, that one.
0: His, Mr. His, Mr. Pineda sent his, that his, one to me. I had never read that one and, and he sent, oh, okay. sent me a copy. So phenomenal yeah. book. All right. Now this one, you're close to my age. So you might have an answer for this one. How about a favorite martial arts video game? Were you, were you ever a gamer?
1: I was really not a gamer. So, you know, Mortal Kombat is probably the only game i ever really played. Okay. That's yeah, okay. So that's a good one. Combat, yeah. All right.
0: <laughs> How about a favorite martial arts TV show?
1: uh it would have to be um kung fu
0: okay you're a fan okay now did you yeah, ever watch I was the i
1: remember as a kid yeah go ahead did you
0: ever watch the sequel the kung fu a legend continues no okay no okay no
1: okay. <laughs> i don't i don't like watching sequels because i don't want to ruin my image of the, the original so okay yeah it had to be kung fu <laughs> nice
0: yeah that one i was uh, i said i was four i think when that came out three or yeah four, i
1: was up? yeah I, so i'm 56 how, how old are you
0: uh forty nine.
1: So okay, okay, yeah. So we, yeah, I was a little older. I mean, yeah. ten or eleven. So, um, but I, yeah, I liked that show. Yeah,
0: I liked it, and you know, obviously, when I got older and watched it, when I, when I watch it now, I'm like, man, that technique's not that good. <laughs> but yeah,
2: exactly.
1: but as yeah. but as a kid, <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, exactly.
0: Cool. How about a favorite martial arts movie?
1: Enter the Dragon. Nice. I, I would watch. So we would. My father. I don't know the name of those machines, it was pre v c r these were the machines that were about the size of a trash can, and oh. uh the cassette tapes were like maybe the size of half a pizza box i think oh, wow. so we my father got had we have the four it was four cassettes of the end of the dragon that we had to put in, so we put in one cassette and then one, you know it would cut off and we had to put the cassettes in four times to watch the entire movie <laughs> and I would watch that movie. I think a hundred times a year. That's awesome. And I just love that movie. And I think it's the best it's still to me in my, the best martial arts movie ever. Okay. <laughs> so
0: here's a yeah. question now. Being an instructor and running a school what are some movies you think have had an impact on your school? Like, is there when, when, a, when something like when, when enter the dragon came out, there was a massive boom of people joining martial arts schools. When karate kid came out, martial yeah. arts schools, it kind of exploded with ninja, ninja turtles and power range. So is there some that you remember from running your school that, uh, had an impact?
1: Well, it, it was those movies you just mentioned. It was, it was okay. Ninja Turtles and karate kid. I think, you know, I, when, um, that really impacted, I think, the kids market in terms of the kids coming to the schools and, and, you know, a lot of schools focusing on, you know, kids, I guess. And that's what, you know, we do. Right. But I think, you know, there's so many more martial arts movies that have come out. I think the impact is great because those movies, you know, Karate Kid and the Ninja Turtles, that was really the turning point, I think, with, you know, kids wanting to do martial arts.
0: Have you seen yeah. any anything from like some of the modern TV shows like Warrior or Cobra Kai?
1: no not really i because I, I don't think kids watch that. i think that, that those appeal more to adults you know yeah. uh, not so much like because yeah i don't think it's made much of an impact that i've recognized in my school Yeah, and i know there are cartoons with like ninjago and those things mm. that the kids still like some of the younger kids watch yep. but i'm not so in tune with that so i don't know what they're watching you know the name exactly but yeah. so
0: all right this good. question now this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie just a favorite movie fight scene
1: favorite movie fight scene wow but well, everything that Enter the dragon i thought was awesome yeah I actually so one of my my second favorite movie was Jackie Chan snake in the eagle shadow oh,
0: nice
2: okay yeah
1: so I love that movie and actually you know back in the day you know there used to be a movie theater that it was like you know kung fu movie Friday night movie and John Chung after Cook Me and Charlie Lee, we all saw that movie and I loved that movie too. So I thought that was a close second. That's awesome. Uh, but I, I like, I like the really early day Jackie Chan movies, uh, but yeah, those are really good. So are
0: any uh, theaters near you showing Enter the Dragon this year for the 50th anniversary?
1: You know, that's a good question. You know, I know that what I just found out was cool is with the Seattle, the soccer team, the Seattle Sounders, what they did with their soccer jersey. Yeah. Commemorating Bruce Lee. Really? So, yeah, so they, they have a, their uniform, their, one of their kits is a 50th anniversary commemorating Bruce Lee, uh, kit. So they wear the Seattle professional soccer team. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so we actually, uh, okay, I actually a side note. We have a, uh, a Chinese American museum locally in Washington, D.C. Okay. Uh, and I helped them contact Linda Lee and, and she's actually donating some artifacts. Oh, wow. They're celebrating Bruce Lee's 50th. And, uh, and that we've also, so being the letters that my, uh, that Bruce Lee wrote to my father, I've sent them some copies of the, the wait, not, not the actual copies, but the, uh, the photos mm-hmm. of these letters. So they're going to display those letters. But, um, yeah, 50, Bruce Lee's, uh, it's amazing. It's been 50 years. Yeah.
0: I'm trying to get my local theater to do it, and so far they haven't said anything. I just look at those jerseys. Those are sweet.
1: Yeah. The um, Is there going to be a remake? I heard there was going to be a remake of End of the Dragon. Is that, is that I mean, Maybe. maybe it,
0: they've sure. been talking about it for a long I mean, I really hope. Yeah. They, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind maybe seeing like... A sequel like 30 40 50 years later or something like that but i mean yeah yeah
1: you can't it'd be hard to remake that movie. Yeah.
0: What, what i would like to see i hope someone would do i would like to see some filmmaker take today's technology and not remake but re-edit and kind of redo game of death
1: Yeah. I was disappointed (laughs) with the ending of that movie. I was so disappointed with it. I mean, didn't they have like a cutout of his face on the, on the,
2: literally it
0: was like a cardboard cutout in Uh the mirror.
1: Yep, And I was like, what is that? Yeah. yeah, but today, today's technology, they can probably do that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah,
0: I'm hoping oh. someone will, do and I've told that to a few movie, <laughs> movie makers I know. I'm like, would not that
1: that be, like, yeah, that'd be awesome?" I'm like, yeah, do well, it. Yeah, isn't there like a like, the, that video of him playing ping pong with the nunchucks? I mean, they they can definitely do it. Isn't oh yeah, have, like a, have you ever seen that? Oh, and how many people thought it, it was playing? how
0: many people thought it was real?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they should definitely be able to do that. Hey, That's a good idea.
0: I'm hoping someone hears, the, uh, so maybe someone will hear this and be like, Hey, let's do that. Cause I think that'd be kind of yeah. sweet. But yeah, enter the, you know, I mean, they did a Jet Lee did a, a sequel to, was it Fist of Fury? He did. A, I yeah, I saw it. it was like, was it what Fist of Legend or something? Like, I can't remember the name of uh-huh, it, but, uh-huh. but it was, it was actually really good. <laughs> You know, I I could see like a sequel to some of his or something or somehow yeah. connecting them, but you know, they don't need to redo them. There's just, I mean, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. With CGI, they should just like pass that movie up. That would, that would be a good idea. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's,
0: it's it's hard to watch. I mean, I'll fast forward <laughs> through the scenes when he's like, you know, fighting like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and stuff. Uh-huh. And, but the rest of it when it's not when it's just an actor with a cardboard cut out of Bruce Lee's face on him and like
2: <laughs> yeah, God, right. that's
0: and i realized that's back really then bad. that was that was the technology that was the best they could exactly. do but it's kind of sad so <laughs> well before i let you go anything that maybe i forgot to ask you or you want to be sure we mentioned you know before we wrap it up
1: no, uh, you know, it's just uh, thank you for having me on. I, uh, I think it's great what you're doing. And uh, how long have you been doing this? That, that's a, that's so fun. this, so
0: kind of the so brief brief history of me. So I started martial arts when I was ten back in '84 after seeing Karate Kid. Uh-huh. Um, I okay. started, yeah, I started. Well, I literally walked out of the movie theater and the local Tung Sudo school was handing out free passes. So that was my yeah. <laughs> my intro to martial arts. I started in radio when I was 15. And uh-huh. yeah, and then when I was a teenager, I got into Shotokan. When I moved away to college, I did Aikido and traditional Taekwondo. Moved to California, did American Kempo, uh, and I dabbled in other stuff. I've done some boxing, I've done some kickboxing, I've done some Judo and Jujitsu and stuff, and and whatnot. Some Hopkido. But in the mid '90s, when I was working in radio, I had the idea of doing a martial arts talk show, and for about ten, probably thirteen years. Every station I worked at, I pitched the idea to and nobody would let me do it. They, none of them believed it would work. One, <laughs> well, the, the last station I tried it with, I think it was 2009 or 2010. I think it was maybe 2011. I was working at a station and I went before I pitched it to him, I went out and I got everything together and I went to him and I said, here's the deal. I have this idea for a show. I have this, I have these 20 people lined up to be guests. I have these four local schools that will sponsor the show. We'll have money coming in, Blah, blah all this stuff. But they still said, no, <laughs> I was like, uh, wow! I'm like guaranteed money. I'm like, wow. And uh, they just would not, they would not budge on it. And when podcasting first hit, I thought about it. I'm like, man, I don't really have a lot of time. And then COVID hit and I'm like, I suddenly had all this free time because you know my, I still have my regular job, but I also do sports PA announcing and like the stadium announcer for local college sports. And mm-hmm. a lot of those sports went away during COVID. I'm like, man, I have all this free yeah. time. I'm like, you know, maybe I should do that podcast thing. Do my show as a podcast. So I started you know, for about six To eight months before I actually launched my show, I reached out to all these martial artists I knew and I started recording episodes. So when I was ready to launch, so I've been going just over two years, I just, I think you're episode number 122, I think. So just just over two years, but, but I had 25 episodes fully edited and produced before I actually released the show.
1: Uh, so, okay. Well, wow, wow. so, so you started after COVID, like during COVID, you
0: started during COVID. Yeah, right at the beginning. at the beginning. Yeah. So wow. it, it's you know when I first the whole idea was I wanted I wanted a mixture of martial artists that people know and martial artists that people right. didn't know. I also wanted to mix them I wanted some celebrities that weren't known to be martial artists.
1: And, Mm -hmm. you know, I
0: did like most, a lot of the other podcasts that were doing things, they were going for just the big names and just this. And and I I wanted a more of a mixture. I wanted the person down this. I I actually went back and interviewed all my original instructors, my Tung Sido instructor, my Shotokan instructor, my Taekwondo instructor, and my American Kenpo instructor, had them all on the show and other local instructors and just found people with cool stories to tell. And mm-hmm. and then I I also started reaching out for some at least what I considered big names, you know I, mm-hmm. I and my my very first guest, one of the first people to say yes was was Tom bleaker I don't know if you know that name or not.
1: That's a, that's a, but he's that's written he
0: wrote uh, Unsettled Matters, the Bruce Lee book. Okay. And he was okay. he was actually married to Linda for a while. Oh. Okay. Yes. Oh. Yeah. But he was one of the first ones to say yes. I had met him online and stuff. And then one of the, mm-hmm. the next big names to say yes was Ed Parker Jr. Uh, which okay. yeah, which I had actually met him once and when mm-hmm. I, I sent him a message and he remembered me, he's like, I'd love to do it. That's you know, cool. and, and once you get big name, you know, so, or at least big names in the martial arts, other people take notice. You know, right, I, right. I've had two people ever say no. And I've had two people mm-hmm. that tried to charge me.
2: <laughs> and I like well. First of all, yeah,
0: I don't make a dime doing this, so I can't pay you. Yeah, but the and right. the one of the guys who said no, he said no before. He was one of the first ones I contacted before I started the show, and yeah. he said, and "He's like, I don't know who you are, blah blah blah. I've never heard your show. I'm gonna, you know, politely decline." I was fine with it, and he he was a celebrity. And about yeah. six months after my show started, I sent him another message. I said, "Hey, I know you don't want to do this, but I know you know some of my guests, and I thought you might enjoy these interviews." And I just sent him a link. And five minutes, five minutes later, he messaged me back. He goes, that's an impressive guest list. How does next Tuesday work for you?
1: Oh, (laughs) good
0: for you. So, so yeah, there's only one, actually one now that has said no, (laughs) that I haven't had on the show. And yeah, so Uh, it's been going good. I mean, and, and I've, I get referrals from, I mean, Mr. Pineda has probably got me about 10 guests. Oh, good.
2: He knows a lot of people. people. Yeah. He He knows a, a
0: a lot of people, you know, and you know, I've had, uh, Dan and the Santo's daughter. I had people who trained with Bruce Lee in Seattle. I've had mm-hmm. I mean, people from movies and TV shows, and I mean people from like The Mandalorian, and uh, obviously uh, yeah. uh, Ian Armitage from Young Sheldon. I mean, which was right, right. You know, Francis set that one up for me, which was awesome. And people, everyone I talked to who listened to the episode, he's a martial artist. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's one of those guests I was going for. They don't know he's a martial artist. Yeah, so, exactly. So yeah, it's 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 been going good. I love doing it and it's just it takes time i mean it's my 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 average interview is an hour and i spend about four to five hours editing each episode
1: yeah it's
0: a it's a time-consuming thing (laughs) but it's fun
1: oh that's awesome cool no i appreciate
0: I, i i truly appreciate your time i've so enjoyed this and and i can't wait to get the episode out all right brian thank you very much all right have a good night sir take care